Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point, but what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a microcollege in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head on. Welcome to MicroCollege. Um, today, we are talking with someone who, is, who has taken the, the question of tackling the challenge of the crisis in higher education head on in a really literal way. Um, uh, it's our honor today to have as a guest, Kieran Willis. Um, Kieran is, as of a month or so ago, the Director of Operations at Deep Springs College, right? How, when did you start there? Sorry? Uh, I, I started there uh, just about three weeks ago, yeah. All right. Congratulations. That's exciting. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but before that, um, Kieran has has led a, a really diverse and interesting life so far. Um, he has been a, uh, a lecturer in English in Mongolia. Um, he's been part of the faculty of, of the Knowles program, which we'll talk about. Um, and he's been the director uh, of, uh, he's been part of a summer camp on the Four Winds Westward Ho in Deer Harbor in, in the San Juan Islands off of Washington State. Um, and I think most notably for our purposes here, um, Kieran, during the the crazy pandemic year of 2020, um, took the initiative to really, truly really tackle what was going on in higher education, the, the disruption happening at that moment, to create a, a place beyond, which was uh, what we'll talk about. It's a, a really uh, an innovative and exciting response to what was going on at that moment uh, in time. Um, but before that, Kieran, um, just to we'd like to start here on on microcollege um, with with a bit of biographical background um, and, and storytelling. So maybe you could you could share with, about, with us a bit about your thinking back to when you were you were 18, 19, 20 years old, um, setting out on your adult career. Um, where were you? Uh, what were you doing? And uh, and how did that how how does that influence your life? Yeah, that's a really good question. I it definitely for me it felt like. All of the things that I've done uh, in my career kind of led from one to the other. I suppose that's what most people say. <laughs> looking backwards, the path makes sense. Um, looking forwards, it's always a little bit obscured. Um, but when I was 18, I was going from um, growing up in Portland, Oregon, and going to small uh, Catholic high school and um, middle school type experience to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, which is a much different environment, and I was—I really didn't know what to expect there, and it kind of <laughs> impacted me in a lot of very significant ways. I um, started at the engineering school there um, because I wanted to study naval architecture, of all things, <laughs> building boats, and um, it's one of only a few programs that offers that. Um, and in the course of uh, trying to pursue that. I, I essentially um, learned what a bell curve was. <laughs> I learned what it was like to be in a class of, um, you know, a math class or a chemistry class with 10,000 other people enrolled, um, all these sorts of interesting um, exposures to a different kind of education, one that was much more about weeding people out. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It, it, Basically, I, I kind of struggled in those spaces. I had never really, like, I'm one of those kids, you know, that read a lot, never really studied a lot in high school. And then, um, you know, I got to Michigan and saw people studying in the library for, like, 72 hours a week, you know, <laughs> camped out in the library trying to game the system so that they could, yeah, beat everybody else. And um, that kind of competitive system of education I mean, A, I was a little bit oblivious to it because I didn't really know what it was at first, and then B, um, I was pretty repulsed by it um, after kind of experiencing it a little bit. It was very, um, it's just so oppositional. Um, and I think at the time I was really just uh, uh, mystified by it, and it's been in retrospect as I've like worked in, um, in different programs and in experiential education, project-based learning that I've kind of come to reflect on that time as like something that I'm definitely uh, reacting to still, um, mm -hmm. trying to design programs that enrich 
each individual's life rather than um, kind of put people into the <laughs> into the meat grinder and mm-hmm. see what comes out. You know, see how many. Well, we only have 200 spots for um, you know for kids in this program, so we have to fail 50% of them or whatever. Um, you know, that that sort of stuff I think is uh, it's really it doesn't really fit with how I think we should be educating people and taking care of people um, and trying to help them learn and grow. So, yeah, I'd say that that experience was pretty important to me. I I eventually shifted into the um, to studying an English degree there, and that's what kind of set me off mm-hmm. teaching English in Mongolia and then um, and that in, in a postgraduate fellowship program. And then uh, that, along with working at Four Winds, was what really changed my life and made me consider a career in, in education. Yeah, that that's that's great. That the um kind of the ruthless competition, kind of the 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 competitive aspect of some of those programs is something that that is a through line of some of the conversations we've had. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, you uh, um you know a big theme of of your work um, has been outdoor learning, expeditionary learning, um you know, and that which has been a really important part of Thoreau College as well. Um, solos and expeditions. Um, and I guess I'm wondering if you could talk about you know there's there's a kind of you know uh, you know those engineering programs or these these really competitive programs in academia that you've you talked about um, you know they are challenging and they're you know they're structured to to provide a challenge to the individual um, but that's also some of the language that you know uh, a Knowles course or or expeditionary mm. learning talks about kind of challenge um, can you talk about the difference there how is that how is that type of uh, pushing of, of the of the student different in those two contexts. That's a good question. I yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot that's a, like a rich vein of conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the primary difference that I kind of see right off the bat is one is a challenge that is an individual challenge, and the other is a challenge you know that a community is working toward together, um, and from that kind of communal. Um, you know, collaborative work toward uh, reaching a particular outcome. Um, individuals flourish and build competencies in different ways you know, through their individual challenges with it nested within that like larger group challenge that you're working toward together, working in harmony towards. So that I think is kind of the main thing. You know, it, there there's a little bit of like an interesting in in engineering programs in general. Um, I think they're kind of caught in the middle in some ways because there were a few different project-based learning classes that were engineering classes that I took in college that I did really love. They were still uh, primarily individually based, even the kind of team aspects. I think most people in conventional colleges (laughs) would say that group projects are the bane of their existence. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but, you know, there there are some really interesting elements that I think a lot of, uh, like, engineering schools have taken on in their kind of project-based engineering classes. But there's still, you know, a school like Michigan, there's still um, all these kind of prerequisite elements are still very much um, along those kind of bell curve lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's, yeah, there's a little bit of like a tension there, I think. But yeah, in general, I'd say the main thing between like the challenge that one faces in the outdoors um, versus and at Knowles, you know these kind of programs where it, they do view themselves as like a school where you're learning a particular set of um, you know skills and um, reflecting on a certain set of knowledge. Like it's all based around like the team and how you're working together, and then how each individual fits into that and grows within that, uh, rather than the individual challenge. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that you know the for the purpose of of micro colleges and the programs of the scale that we've both been involved with here, um, the yeah those those bell curves statistical laws they don't really work at that scale, right? You you can't think in those ways right. if you've got you know ten or fifteen or even you know maybe even one hundred and thirty people like you had um, during a, a place beyond. Yeah. Um, so, when at what point in your life did you get involved with with uh, outdoor education? Were you did you participate in those sort of things as a kid? I um, sort of did. I I went to Fort Wins. That was where I I went there for a few years as a camper when I was uh, probably like twelve and thirteen. 
like 15 or so. And um, Four Winds is like a traditional three-week, three-and-a-half-week summer camp uh, up on Orcas Island. Um, it's very much in the vein of the kind of northeast uh, camps, um, just kind of set on the other coast. <laughs> um, and it has like a small trips program, something that my mentor there, Paul Sheridan, who's the executive director there, really um, kind of bolstered, made sure that every kid went on a trip over the course of my time there, building toward that from something that was totally voluntary when I started going there. So I, I, was, I very much loved the community aspect, being at camp, going to these classes, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I actually was not a big fan of the trip aspect. <laughs> um, and it, I, I actually ended up getting into that stuff um, after I worked there for a couple of years. I basically said goodbye because, um, you know, the kind of pressures and expectations around, like, I got to get a real job, you know, quote, unquote. Mm -hmm. And um, I... And, like, you know, I think a really practical element, too, that we still see a lot of and that I've been thinking a lot about recently is, like, uh, it's really hard to find um, stable, secure, permanent work in the outdoors, um, mm -hmm. whether it's outdoor education or guiding um, or environmental work. Um, but, yeah, I got a job after college. It started in September. Um, and so I called up Paul, and I was like, I was I I think this was pretty late. The summer was just about to start, and I asked, you know, do you guys have any needs this summer? Is there anything I can do? Um, thinking this is like my one last ride, <laughs> and um, he was like, well, we have uh, you know a spot for a trip leader, and I was like, uh, Paul, you know, I don't really um, I don't really know how to do that, <laughs> and I don't really like that. <laughs> And um, he was like, "Well, this is what we need." <laughs> and so, if you want to come back, this is this is we think you'll do a really good job. And um, and there was a, there was a woman there who was running the um, who was running the trips program that summer who had just come back from the Ukraine. Actually, she had gotten evacuated during the initial Russian invasion um, at that time, mm. and um, she was a Knowles grad. That was one of my first exposures to Knowles. Um, was her kind of like running that program and teaching um, me how to do that and, and ended up being a really good fit and something that I loved a lot. Um, and, and I, at that time, just most especially appreciated it because of how it fit into the larger kind of, let's say, like curricular experience that we were planning out for kids, like the kind of uh, camp container, if you will. Um, I, I kind of loved that, like, the dynamic that shifted when you took a bunch of people away, they had a significant experience and then you brought them back and how they kind of re-energized the space. Um, so I, I loved kind of being a part of a, a different element that made camp really special. So that was my, that was my intro to uh, working in, in trips was learning on the, on the go, which is maybe a theme of my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting thrown in. Well, that's something that's really in keeping with the spirit of this, this, you know, the expedition mindset, right? You know, take what's thrown at you, the weather, the, you know, the, the, the relationships, the, you know, the bears or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's definitely, you know, obviously you want people to be in the challenge zone rather than stress zone as they're learning. Um, and, uh, um, you know, obviously we, uh, I've never been able to, uh, only keep it in the challenge zone, <laughs> whether I'm like mentoring people or in my own life, like there's all sorts of situations where, um, you just have to say you know, yes to the opportunity it, or like, uh, it's kind of more of a, there's no other option. It's just, you know, you're given the challenge that you're given and you have to kind of step up and rise to the occasion, um, beyond what you would choose or expect for yourself. Micro College is recorded in the broadcast studios of WDRT Viroqua, 91.9 FM, Driftless Community Radio, on Main Street in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Thanks to Jim and all the folks at WDRT for the support of Thoreau College and the Micro College podcast. Yeah, yeah it's, it's proven to be, uh, I think, here at Thoreau College and also in my experience as a high school teacher, one of the most powerful tools in the toolkit of of holistic education, right? This type of 
deep immersion into into an expedition, you know, all the things that come with it is transformative in in, in real time. People are different after a week on on, on a trip than than they started off with. So um, here at Thoreau College, that's meant uh, this past year we had. Um, about three um, weeks of expedition, and then a series of individual solos, ranging from from you know a day to to, to forty eight hours in different weather, um, and each one of them just very powerful, transformative experiences. Um, so, I think um, yeah, maybe you could tell us a bit about Knowles for people who haven't heard that. Um, that's N O L S, the National Outdoor Leadership School. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Knowles is um, also very cool. I. Yeah, I love Knowles. Um, I think it's like one of the best jobs in the world in some ways. Um, Knowles was started uh, by a guy called Paul Petzold in the mid-60s. He was a former instructor for, or maybe at that time still was, for um, the Outward Bound School in Colorado. And um, he had been a, a trainer at the for the 10th Mountain Division during World War II. He was a pretty... Um, successful or like famous mountaineer um, in the early 20th century or mid 20th century. Um, I think he did like the second ascent of the Grand Teton, um, stuff like that. Um, he uh, started the school basically to train uh, instructors for Outward Bound. Um, and it's kind of gone on to do uh, something similar to Outward Bound, um, you know, kind of long expeditionary uh, trips like going I, the classic Knowles course is going into the Wind River Mountains in Wyoming for 30 days um, doing a little bit of rock climbing but mostly um, kind of traveling over land and over the mountains um, it, generally the the concept is as it like stands now it's like the students come in as total novices the first week or so the instructors are doing a lot of the kind of guiding and um, uh, like t you know t basically directing students where to go and how to um, like do everything <laughs> from cooking to camping mm -hmm. um, and then um, over the next three weeks uh, the next two weeks in particular basically getting them to move toward um, their own competency to where hopefully by the end of week three um, and week four, the students are doing everything. So ideally, the last week of that type of course, the students plan and run their own individual expedition within the expedition. Um, so it's kind of a really cool project of like scaffolding experiential learning. I, I just think, uh, I basically learned about it while I was in Mongolia teaching. I met someone, I guess I had just worked for someone who was an old grad. I met someone there who had worked for Knowles in the office, um, and I think had, had been a Knowles grad. And I was I was lucky to get a scholarship to go take a course when I came back from Mongolia, um, an outdoor educator course in the Rocky Mountains, which I basically took it. I was a fish in water, and I was like, wow, I, <laughs> I want to do this. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I applied for the instructor course while I was on that course. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I basically had spent a year in Mongolia teaching in the classroom. I developed like a project-based learning classroom for um, English as a foreign language, which is kind of, you know, obvious. I mean, it already kind of is project-based learning, but um, we just had a different sort of situation, um, a lot of time together in the classroom. And so we kind of co-designed uh, that classroom. Um, and uh, I was, that was just based on a bunch of reading that I was doing and dissatisfaction with like the materials that I had. Mm -hmm. And um, so going on Knowles and then seeing this like really beautifully scaffolded program um, that was, had been honed over many years. Um, and then the instructors that I had at the time, I basically was like, oh wow, these, all these people could do my job way better than I could do my job. So I wanna work with them. Um, and that's also been a theme of my career, trying to find places where I'm the dumbest guy in the room and I just get to kind of soak up everyone else's knowledge. I, I think that's like a response to being, um, yeah, I don't know, just, just kind of like role modeling being such a powerful uh, learning uh, mechanism for me, like seeing, like observing what other people are doing. Maybe that's like a third child syndrome <laughs> in me, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, that that was kind of how I came to Knowles and why I, I think I responded so positively to it. I, obviously, I had done a little bit of the trip leading as well, but it, it was for the like educational aspect and like their program design that I, I was really taken and why I, I went to work there for a few years. Um, and, I, and I still work, you know, Knowles, you can kind of work contracts. So every now and again, I do work some contracts. I just worked a, a Mount Baker course um, back in May. Uh, of this year before I came out to Deep Springs. And um, yeah, I hope that I'll get to continue working short courses for them throughout my life. I mean, it's just a really beautiful program. So I, I would, I recommend it for most people. It's, they're, they're going under a lot of, through a lot of like transformation right now. The pandemic was both good and bad for them. Like they had an unprecedented amount of interest, um, but, They've also like lost a lot of instructors over the last few years due to like um, insecurity of the position, um, low wages, that sort of thing. So, and a, a number of other issues. But uh, that you know that that kind of <laughs> is related to that idea of like working in the outdoors in any kind of capacity is hard. Um, and seasonal. businesses aren't always like structured. Yeah. Yeah. Seasonal and, and just like the pay and security. So uh, trying to figure, figure that out. I've just been thinking a lot about it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really like, I definitely threw myself all into that world um, and was really able to do it because of my privilege of like having a supportive family, um, you know, being able to go back to my parents' house in between trips at times once I got rid of my lease in Seattle <laughs> um, and and like the knowledge that like if the wheels really came off I had a really loving um, mom and dad and, um, and and like that's just not the case for everybody and that's a calculation that other people can't make so um, it's hard to like operate at a high level as an educator or you know no matter what you're doing if you're again kind of stressed and fearful of like uh, how you can make a living or if you're on the right path and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so that privilege definitely helped me. Yeah, that's something that, that in looking through your materials connected with A Place Beyond, I mean, that, that, that really comes through. I mean, this, the, the type of education that we're talking about here, um, even Deep Springs, which is, is, is zero tuition, um, but especially programs like Knowles and, and, and many of the the kind of gap year programs are, are, you know, they really are luxury goods, right? They're, they're things that are accessible mm -hmm. only to very privileged people. Um, and what I saw, you know, that comes through in your, in your work is that you're really thinking about that, uh, that question, right? Cause if this is, is what we, you and I know this to be, right? This is powerfully transformational, like really fundamentally important education. It really needs to be accessible to more people. Um, yeah, that's great. So yeah. perhaps, yeah, this is a good point to transition to talking about uh, A Place Beyond. Um, so this is a remarkable story. I, it's clear that you you really responded to the uncertainty of the world uh, that we all experienced in 2020 to do something with a lot of initiative. And yeah, well, how did that get going? And yeah, just tell us that story. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was in the middle of proctoring a null semester so basically it's like a 90-day null course where they kind of do a, a number of different like modules so you go backpacking for four weeks you go backcountry skiing for three weeks and normally the instructors uh sort of shuffle around in between um and, but there is ideally one instructor who travels with them the whole time so i was that traveling instructor and doing all the different activities with them we actually went winter camping and backcountry skiing. They got a wilderness first responder and then we were on the road to go climb at uh, Shelf Road in Colorado. And um, we got called back <laughs> to um, Lander, Wyoming in March of 2020. And we're told that uh, we uh, no longer had a job wow. <laughs> and all the students had to go home. Um, and so I kind of, like most people spent about a month like sitting in my pajamas and um, going crazy. And um, I, I kind of got to mid-May. I had some friends um, that I was staying with. You know, we kind of got together in Bend, Oregon for about a month. Um, just a couple of really tre treasured friends um, at led, you know, just like wonderful conversations, talking about the world, talking, trying to make sense of uh, <laughs> the senseless <laughs> uh, <laughs> spring of 2020. And um, 
I had uh, been thinking a lot about farm schools um, since I heard about one. I heard about the Putney School in Vermont. I think that was my first like real exposure to it. I had spent some time on farms in Ireland as a kid um, where uh, we, my family still has a farm out there and um, we work with our cousins to, um, to grow grass and raise sheep and cattle. And um, we, basically I heard about that kind of school. I totally connected the dots between things like Knowles and um, the project-based learning I was doing in Mongolia at the time. And uh, many years later, uh, you know, I essentially was thinking, okay, what am I going to do when my body breaks and I can't uh, do Knowles anymore? Um, which I think is a, a common thought among people that are working in guiding, um, uh, but also, you know, people who are working in the trades like that. It's, it's, it's hard work on your body and you can't do it forever. And um, you figure out like ways, you know, strategies for that. So, I was doing that kind of calculation. I thought to myself, well, you know, like it would be cool to run a kind of farm school. I'm, I probably, it'll take me a long time if I was trying to, you know, have a PhD and start a school and be ahead of school and get a whole community together. But my thought was like, you know, maybe in my mid thirties, like I bet I could um, get together a bunch of people who could run the experiential ed side of things. Like I know lots of people who would do that. Um, and maybe we could figure out some way to, either partner with the school or find an online kind of educational program um, that could provide the educational aspects. Um, and I had kind of gotten into the promise of online education while I was working in Mongolia because, um, because of its promise basically to provide best-in-class educational material to disenfranchised students. And so that was kind of why that was fresh on my mind. Anyway, I kind of had that idea. I filed it away. This was pre-pandemic. And then in, in those conversations in uh, May of 2020, I sort of uh, had this thought of, you know, the, like summer camps are hurting, and those are places where you could kind of house all these people. Dorms aren't going to be able to house all these people in kind of one person per room. Like the capacity of these dorms is going to be reduced. I just essentially was kind of connecting the dots on – how, if I was running a college, would I be able to actually bring everybody back in the fall? And the answer was basically no, um, especially because it wasn't totally clear, but it was there were some indicators at that time that COVID was airborne. Mm -hmm. So all that kind of got me thinking, like, why don't I, why don't I try to do, bring that idea to fruition? And um, I remember kind of doing the napkin math in late May and then um, chatting with uh, my brother um, and one of one of those good friends um, in early June, and basically kind of pitching them on this idea, and they agreed to join me as co-founders and advisors. And um, essentially, <laughs> I just uh, I think on that I think it was like June second. I just called like 30 camps and started um, just trying to find the right place to do it. Um, which at that time was less about uh, the aesthetics and how, you know, like, is it the right place and the right people and all this stuff. It was more just like, are we even going to be able to do this? And, um, <laughs> like, is there is this legal? <laughs> um, how does this work? I had never started a business before. So going through all those different kinds of questions um, and, and on the route to saying, like, okay, can we use the summer camp um, to, like, house a small a college campus for online learners um, who can't or don't want to go back to their college campus in the fall. And um, I guess the, the idea was that with, you know, 3,000 people or more, maybe even like 1,000 or 500 people or more, it'll be impossible to kind of do any kind of COVID restrictions. People will be breaking the rules. Everyone will be stressed out. No one's going to learn very well. Um, but if you have like 100 or less or 60 or less, um, I, my kind of gut thinking was like, I think we could get that many people to buy in to like following a particular set of like community standards around mm -hmm. exposure. Um, and so that was essentially kind of what we pitched um, people on uh, starting around July 7th. I think we finally kind of launched our website and started putting it out in our circles of friends and doing a little bit of advertising and um, just <laughs> trying to 
convince people both that it was a real thing and also <laughs> that um, really trying to uh, like highlight that yes, this is like we're, I don't know it was a weird dance because we were trying to show that we were like very polished and serious and professional, um, but. Uh, so that people had confidence in it, but also we didn't want them to like assume that we had already been doing this because <laughs> we knew we were going to mess up a lot. <laughs> so, um, you know, as we were doing like phone calls with students, really like emphasizing, like, here's the plan, here's what we're doing, you know, here's, here's like what we've secured so far. And, um, just a lot of contact with people over two months, um, before we finally got people out, uh, in September out in Prescott, Arizona, we, we had some like, that was a really wet and wild summer for me. <laughs> like every one week, it was like, oh, we're going to do this. It's going to be amazing. The next week, it was like, oh, this is, it's, we're screwed. This is never going to happen. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm just like working all the time and um, trying to like put together all the pieces, hiring people and recruiting students, talking to parents, talking to students online, um, just doing whatever we could, really. And there was just like so many people that just helped out during that time, friends of mine from Knowles and camp and, um, uh, and elsewhere that we were just, you know, who were helping read materials, reaching out to friends, um, who, yeah, basically just heard this idea and it really made sense to them. And uh, it was, it was one of those things that I think the idea was interesting and compelling enough that people just, it just sort of made its way around like lots of people, I mean, I'd be like looking at the kind of um, who was visiting the website from where, you know, and it was just funny the different clusters that would pop up every now and again. It's like, oh, what is, like, who in Massachusetts is looking at this? This is so strange. Um, like all clusters in one place. So it definitely, um, I think the main thing that people were wondering was like, is this, is this uh fire festival <laughs> yeah. and uh it um you know it's it equal parts was and wasn't i guess <laughs> um but yeah we uh, some of some of the highlights of that time were like we had a camp in california um lined up to do this and um up near petaluma and um we really loved those guys um uh, uh cyo camp up there and um it basically we learned on like august 7th that uh the california state health department was not going to let us do it and we had been essentially assured until that point that it, like all 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 signs were good that we were good to go so i had been advertising three camps because i just thought if you have three options three campuses it seems like more like a real thing rather than just advertising one um mm -hmm. and so that's um, i'd say yeah. right there that 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 is that one of the more remarkable things about this story i mean uh, and we um we were in operation we we saw you know a similar kind of level of interest from people who would not have considered doing thorough college in that time we'd been in mm -hmm. you know been starting a little bit earlier but the idea of, of picking up from zero on the 7th of, of july to do three different low sites it was it was pretty it's pretty remarkable courage there I, I, know. I, uh, <laughs> I definitely um you know i have a problem with putting 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag for sure that's like uh definitely my um uh <laughs> that's something i'm working on um i'm only getting better at it honestly <laughs> i'm not i'm not backing off it um and <laughs> I, I need i need someone to pull me back from the edge um i uh yeah <laughs> It, it really was just like a, a lack of, I, I knew I was like so unproven in so many ways that I thought like, okay, well, we want to project this brand. And, and my friend, Charlie, who was one of the co-founders and advisors was, he's a great, um, you know, advertising and branding guy. And, and we did a lot of conversation about like, what is the story here? What are we trying to do? But then just out of tactic, like, and, and that was kind of all about the pitch and community and, and all that sort of stuff. How he, he was really good at trying to like, talk to me and figure out, and he has great um, community sensibilities himself, but um, talking to me and figuring out, okay, how, like, how do we talk about all these things that you know are really good from this type of experience and why it's perfect for this moment? Um, he's just excellent at that. But then at a tactical level, just figuring out how do we project confidence to people in this time of so much uncertainty? Um, and one of them was like, okay, we're going to advertise three campuses and um, just because like if it's just one place and it's 
you know, start come, come to Kiram's summer camp. <laughs> um, it's like a weird, you know, it's hard to avoid that kind of, uh, um, I don't know, image um, other than trying to really have it be focused on like the experience itself, the fact that there's three campuses, all this stuff. So anyway, the plan always was basically to like go to one, you know, and initially uh, in the fall. Um, and so luckily we had been advertising that, uh, that Arizona camp. So there was two California camps, one Arizona camp, um, campus. And we, um, so yeah, on August 7th, we learned that California wasn't gonna let us operate there. And so I hadn't visited the Arizona campus yet. And so I flew down there, I think two days later um, to take a tour. And um, it's, uh, yeah, over at Friendly Pines camp in Prescott, Arizona. Um, I'd never been to Prescott before. It's really amazing. If you've never been there, it's a beautiful place. I'm just totally scenic. Um, and um, yeah, I went and visited it. I scheduled a webinar for all the people that had signed on. <laughs> we already had, I think we were like waiting for deposits from, I think like 15 people had already kind of like been accepted and were like very, very interested. And so um, I like scheduled essentially like an emergency webinar with all those people um, and from that Arizona campus and just talked about what had happened, what we were trying to do. Um, and luckily later that day, I confirmed that uh, through a kind of the local county health department and um, a health clinic there, we were gonna be able to get all the tests that we needed um, to kind of test every week. And um, yeah, so it, it all really, that moment really all came together in over the course of like three days, but it was very, very stressful. And then right after that, it was like a push to get the right amount of people. And we kind of had a staff training down there where we didn't have enough students enrolled. And so we didn't really do staff training. We just tried to enroll students for a week. <laughs> it was just, uh, it's just crazy, honestly. Um, and, uh, it, but you know, that was kind of what that time in the U S was like as well, you know, like absolutely. Everyone, we all remember it. <laughs> yeah. We were all just kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was all over the place. I'm, yeah, I, I, uh, it was pretty surreal on September 9th and we had our first group of 30 students come, uh, um, and, uh, and then in October we brought in another, um, 15 or so. And then, um, or maybe we had 35 and then we brought in 10. Um, and, yeah, I mean, after that, we did another, in the spring, we opened up another uh, campus in Colorado, and so we had 60 in Arizona and 45 in Florissant, Colorado at Sanborn Western Camp, um, which is a really awesome um, program out, out there, um, who runs the outdoor, uh, Colorado Outdoor Education Center um, outside of like an hour west of Colorado Springs, um, and yeah, it, it was just, you know, as you can imagine, like running those types of campuses, um, especially in the fall, people had been isolated from September, yeah. you know, all the way back to March. Um, so once we were able to, like, verify that no one had COVID um, and, you know, everyone took off their masks, I mean, it was really a surreal moment of, like, creating a bubble and... Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was, and there was lots of conversations there. I mean, to go back to your earlier point, we can talk more about, but lots of conversations throughout this whole process of like, how do we make this more accessible? Like the worst case scenario is this like becomes a, a haven for the privileged during the pandemic. And, um, you know, people uh, like low-income first-generation college students are disproportionately impacted by COVID and closures of colleges and the colleges are like doing a terrible job of like trying to um, accommodate folks and, and lessen that impact and so how can we try to step in and fill the void Thoreau College is a leader in an emergent movement dedicated to the renewal and revitalization of higher education through the creation of new humanly scaled institutions with holistic curricula known as micro colleges Thoreau College Higher education for the whole human being. So these were yeah. students who were enrolled at other institutions and they were continuing their studies remotely while participating in this program, correct? 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. You, like I would go to Oregon State, you would go to Washington State, but we both go to Prescott, Arizona, and live together and go to school online. Yeah. I think we had in that first semester we had like 30 colleges represented, and then in the second semester, I don't think we had too many more. We we got a bunch of students from Moorhead Kane in the second semester, so like a, I think like 10 or 15 students from UNC and probably like 40 or. 45 colleges at that time. I don't remember the exact number. So you could say this is this is a classic hybrid program. The the core academics, right, were being provided by wherever they were going to school. So what what was the what did you do together? What was what was the the curriculum that was being brought um, by a place beyond itself? Yeah, I think um, yes, there was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot and a little. Um, I think the my kind of core concept was that um, we would have like a kind of skeleton staff who would be um, kind of summer camp style or mole style checking it. You know, each student gets a check-in each week, just like seeing how they are, seeing how we can kind of improve things, getting feedback from the students, and also help you know helping them like live in community with one another. Um, and uh, so that, that was, I would say, like a core curricular element. Um, and we had different kinds of like work that we did with staff to try to figure out, okay, how can we support students in this environment? Very different even from like being at summer camp or being at Knowles or whatever. Like how do you, in those, even though that kind of structure is the same, checking in once a week and trying to support them in learning goals, how do you do that when like a lot of their learning is happening um, online? Uh, and so really kind of honing in on the, community elements um, and kind of social emotional learning. Um, but doing it in a way where like, I mean, you're like 18 to 22, you don't always like want um, really direct <laughs> or authoritarian, authoritative coaching on that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of um, just be a good support for people? And, um, and, and I think a lot of it was just the interplay between like asking for feedback on what we were doing um, with the program. Um, like. The first week we ran lots of different kind of kind of orientation activities, but like we, I think we pretty quickly people started doing like the asking each other the 36 questions to fall in love. That was kind of a fun uh, thing. That, I don't know if you've seen that, but like there's like that New York Times article. I think it, I think it's like based on some article that's like um, how to uh, create interpersonal closeness. <laughs> um, but that's a really fun thing. So, you know, I think one of the things is like two minutes of like uh, uninterrupted eye contact. Um, and that's like a fun thing that you should just do with someone sometime. Um, but uh, yeah, a big part of it was like, okay, you want to see something different here or you want to offer a particular workshop, whether you're a student or a staff member, um, you know, go ahead and do that. And we did um, offer things like um, rock climbing clinics and um, mountain biking. Um, but we also had people, staff and students, you know, kind of do reading groups. Um, people do workshops on particular articles, things that they were either learning in class or were just generally curious about. And I think the program itself drew a lot of people who were former summer camp people or just interested in community had experiences at other places like HMI or something like that and um, the High Mountain Institute in Leadville, Colorado. And um, and so like people were coming in pretty primed and charged and excited to like take ownership and um, yeah, try to contribute and try to <laughs> try to make a community as like warm and inviting and accessible as possible. And as I'm sure you know, <laughs> even with the best of intentions like i mean that's the point of these kinds of programs it's not to avoid uh conflict but it's to like create a place where you can like work through it together um ideally safely yeah. um and so figuring out how to um protect that kind of space and um uh yeah and, and get people kind of working through their own problems together um is really really valuable but there's you know it was also college like lots of late night hangouts in the dining hall yeah. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of work like students were studying a lot so yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think this, this model that you're describing there, it's, it's something that really exploded into the world during the pandemic, but certainly had been emerging already. The sense that mm -hmm. you, you can, I mean, information, in, including like formal college education and certification sort of things are so widely available remotely now um, mm -hmm. that one of the reasons you used to go to a university was because that's where the, the books were and that's where the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the only way you could hear a certain lecture or something like that. And that's not really the case anymore. Um, but, um, mm -hmm. so that, that, that's dispersed, but what you, you know, you get from living in community, right? These kind of enrichments mm -hmm. of conversation of meals together of the kind of experiential things that you're sharing. Um, and indeed the, the skills of living in community, right. Um, and mm -hmm. are things that you need to do in person no matter what. And so mm -hmm. you've kind of separated yep. those functions of college in a way that, 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 uh, I definitely see that as a part of this micro college movement that we're a part of, um, yes. you know, yes. the, the, the core kind of academic, you know, content might be gotten somewhere else or in a different way. Um, but it does stand out, you know, looking at the website of A Place Beyond, the, this sort of skills for building community, communication skills, conflict skills, are same, something that you, you seem to be approaching consciously and, and, and uh, in a structured way. And it seems like that also is, is an important part of Knowles and Outward Bound and these, these expeditionary learning models. Yes, definitely. Like, it's something that I really took to at four wins. I think I had a, a few, you know, you only have to run a cabin of 13 year olds once before you realize like, well, we got to do something. <laughs> we got we to gotta have a plan here. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, going on to like coach counselors there and, and do all that kind of work. You just see a lot of different kinds of sides of um, uh, human development, <laughs> childhood and adulthood. And, um, you know, I found that I was able to apply that at molds really well. Um, and I, I think a lot of really great instructors there do that rather than just focusing on the um, technical skills elements or um, kind of implicitly working on uh, leadership stuff. Like, uh, you know, there is a, a very, there's a, there's a distinct leadership curriculum at Knowles, but I'm not sure it's always, depending on the, the instructor, it's not always like, you're not always super focused on like, um, inclusive like relationship building and stuff like that so um but I, but i've worked with people who were really into that and and i was into that and um it was interesting at i i think one of the cool things that um apb that i was not expecting and so, so obviously we were focusing on that at apb just because that's like what i thought was in my wheelhouse and what i felt like was important and what i feel like <laughs> is uh, like more social emotional learning um, more adaptive leadership stuff, like intelligence, uh, emotional intelligence, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Like, that's a lot of why I worked in summer camp for so long. It's like, wow, where do you get to, like, teach kids emotional intelligence skills in this world? Like, basically nowhere. Um, and, you know, people are trying to bring it into the classroom more and more and bring it into schools, and, and great programs are popping up all the time. But they're all kind of, like, around the margins of education and um, are pushing against like some forces that are pretty hard to argue with of like, well, we're pretty sure that English and math class are pretty important, and they are. <laughs> but I, I think the kind of key part for me is like, how do we um, really try to push, you know, that emotion, social emotional learning and um, teaching emotional intelligence skills and adaptive leadership skills to people like holistically and in the course of all their other kind of kinds of learnings. So, so we were like focusing on that stuff at APB. One of the things that though that I think is really interesting goes back to um, my time at Michigan in those kind of like he heavy math and science prereqs was this, this um, thing that arose at APB was we had all these students who were in similar type of classes, like, um, but they were not in direct like competition with one another. So mm -hmm. like we had a, a junior from MIT who was um, like, mentoring a freshman at James Madison in um, stats class. You know, that, that sort of stuff I thought was really interesting, some kind of like near-peer learning stuff that um, was totally non-competitive. Um, like people, even if it, like like two people were with math majors or whatever, like they're not, not in, in the, the same, same class at the same school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just really, really cool to see that. And, and that was something that I, came up a lot. And we didn't have like a specific curriculum around that. Um, but informally, lots of people were talking about that. We did have like weekly small group meetings. So like groups of 10 students would get together 
and um, just like chat about the week and have dinner together or whatever. Um, and, and I think some of those conversations happened there as well. I, usually that was more like community-based, but those types of spaces, I always like to view like, okay, our structured spaces set the tone for like our informal like interactions. So if a, if a instructor is like meeting with the student and like it's really good for them to like, I don't know, for example, like if they had, if they did something that like had an impact on a student that was like, I don't know, hurtful or something like making sure that you're like following up and apologizing in a really generous way because that's going to like role model how people will do it in their kind of informal spaces with their friends. Mm -hmm. Found that at Four Winds and that's definitely something that like, <laughs> I don't know, it's, it influences my thought in all sorts of different spaces. But yeah, the, the, I don't know how often that kind of near peer learning was happening um, in our formal spaces, but it was something that, um, you know, people are just talking about class and it comes up and people were helping each other across schools and I just thought that was really interesting and really special and something that I don't think was happening really anywhere else. Um, and um, it's something that I'm excited for, like to see more of in the future, this kind of hybrid learning. And I, I think there'll be more programs like APB in the future, but, and, and I think they'll like take advantage of that. Um, something that like really puts students in the like collaborative and supportive mindset. And that's just gonna have really great benefits for community and and for learning at an individual level yeah so that's so apb was was a one-year thing um at this point is there their thoughts about about picking that up or you know um or what 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 becomes of this impulse that 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 flowered over that that year yeah that's a good question we we tried <laughs> we tried to keep going <laughs> <laughs> i i wish i was uh, smart enough to just hang up my spurs without trying but um, I, uh, yeah, we, we tried to uh, enroll for the fall of 2021, and um, we just didn't get enough interest to justify the, um, like, all the kind of costs we have. So because we didn't, we, we weren't, like, funded or anything, we were totally running off of our students' tuition and then later donations that we got to support um, low-income and first-generation students, but we, we um, had to pay big, you know, and we didn't own the land, so we had to pay big rent costs mm -hmm. to the camps. Um, people were starting to do retreats again at the camp, so it became more of a negotiation of like, well, we want to have someone for this weekend, but you guys don't want us to have someone for this weekend because you have this ongoing program. That's kind of like us losing out money. So it, it became like, oh man, I, the way that it'll have to work is we'd have a small group on a shared campus and it's just me, no team. <laughs> yeah. And I was just toast, you know? So yeah. I think in the future, like I'm excited. I, I love this kind of stuff. I, I think um, we were working on a little bit of, I, I was working on a little bit of um, kind of questions around like remote work. Could we do some kind of remote work thing, you know, mostly because that will continue to persist at a, at a like really high rate. I think there'll be a little bit of a, a dip and then rebound for the online school stuff. Um, and, uh, but, and also practically, you know, you go from college where you have all this community and then you're like 23 out in the world <laughs> in an apartment in New York city. And like, that's pretty lonely. Um, so I, I think there's a real need there also. Um, but, but yeah, we, we kind of, we tried to get something going. It didn't really work. And, um, and yeah, I, I mean, right now I'm kind of, I've got a full-time job here at Deep Springs, so sure. <laughs> I don't really have time to, to start up another program. But I, I do think that, like, um, you know, in the future, I would love to, like, keep working on this sort of stuff. Like, building community is what I really care about, and um, I wouldn't say, like, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I uh, have any particular insights that no one else has. <laughs> like, I would say actually probably the opposite. I'm lacking a lot, but... Um, I definitely have the <laughs> impulse to like create um, these types of places so that like people can get together and try to figure it out together. Um, yeah. And um, that's something that I will definitely do again in the future. And, um, and I think that, like a lot of people from APB, you know, something that was really true that we kind of touched on a little bit was they were already interested in this world, you know, like of finding community, creating intentional community, um, gathering together and, um, you know, those, the people who were at APB will continue to do that in different settings and 
and in different forms and and there's a lot of other people besides so yeah um, i I gotta imagine the people who had that experience i mean what is everything that happened in that period is is unusual and memorable but i I, you gotta imagine that's something that those those students that you were able to provide a place where are going to carry that in a really treasured place just as people do with summer camps and 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 these expeditions that you led as well like they're those are really liminal like transformative kind mm-hmm. of periods of time in people's lives um for sure yeah for i would sure. really encourage people to you know the, the the website for a place beyond is still up and it's it's it really gives a sense of what can be stood up in a very short period of time by <laughs> determined people willing to take a take a risk and i uh, really applaud you for doing that it was really it was is meeting a deep need, I think, in that time. Um, but now, yeah, just to conclude, we're coming to the end of our hour here. But you're at Deep Springs now, and um, you know, mm-hmm. Deep Springs is is not a pop up. It's been there for over a hundred years. Um, it's in 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 the bedded in the wilderness, um, but mm-hmm. also in some ways is different. It hasn't it hasn't really. It's, it's older than um, Knowles or or Outward Bound in some of these programs. And I guess I'm wondering, mm-hmm. you know, in your what you see the role of this kind of expeditionary learning in a place that has such a commitment to the intellectual, right? These are students who are selected for their writing abilities and their verbal skills. What What is a, an immersion in wilderness and in, you know, like mountaineering skills, camping skills, things like that, offer to a student who is, is who's in their head? That's a good question. I mean, I think having done, like, a lot of physical work in my life and also a little bit of like intellectual work. I think the times where I've been doing a lot of, let's say like sitting behind a desk or behind a book time, I'm always um, so thankful for like, you know, making a, uh, a bookshelf in the evening <laughs> or um, gardening or whatever, you know, like it's so nice to do something that you can really see the, um, Result of your work, even cleaning the dishes, honestly. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I think stretch, that yeah. that's something that is just like a simple insight that like doesn't really need. I mean, perhaps it needs to be investigated more. But um, you know, it's just kind of to me that's just like a simple truth that I think a lot of people like respond well to. I, I, what I'm attra- I mean, I can really only speak. I, I haven't been here for that long, and um, I don't really know the place that well. Um, but I, I would say like the what drew me here really is like. Um, there's a real commitment to the insight that you have to work really hard in order to accomplish anything worth doing. And um, that's kind of what they're really into here. Um, and it's pretty impressive, like how students uh, show up. You know, I got here about the day after the new students arrived in July, and um, they're just kind of all thrown into their uh, 20 to 30 hours of labor per week and um, and also into like an intensive summer writing seminar four hours a day or no, three hours a day something like that um, of like reading Plato and um, Tony Morrison and all sorts of interesting stuff um, so I think I mean honestly like what does uh, expeditionary learning offer the intellectual I, I think it's the same thing it offers anyone which is that like like there are a particular set of skills that help us be better at uh, creating cultures of collective care in our communities. Um, you know, the lessons that you learn at Deep Springs, um, you can go back to any type of community and uh, apply that to like help people grow and learn and become, um, you know, feel, feel more fulfilled, feel like they're, progressing towards something, feel like they um, are seen and are able to like learn more about other people. Helping people see the value in that kind of work, I think is uh, what I love to see in these types of places. Um, uh, And so that's something that I see at Deep Springs as being really valuable, the same as any of these other types of expeditionary learning experiences. Um, But Deep Springs itself has a, a real focus on hard work and the fact that it's um, for a hundred years been on kind of the margin of higher education um, and education in general uh, it's really attractive to me I think that's something that I value from Knowles um, because you're literally going to the, the margins mm-hmm. of the world and um, something that I liked at Four Winds um, because you're 
um, you're kind of on the margins of education in summer camp world. You know, it's something, it's a place that people don't really take seriously, um, but it's extraordinarily impactful. So, you know, that kind of uh, mismatch of expectation versus reality there is really interesting too. And it's because, it, yeah, it's position kind of at the margin of education allows it to, you know, kind of be subversive in that way. But um, yeah, D Deep Springs, I think the fact that they're reading, you know, like I think their summer seminar every summer bringing people in is about living in community. And, you know, I kind of love that, you know, there's a very practical element of coming here and living with all these folks, but then they're reading some of these great books and some of the wisdom passed on from ancient thinkers and folks who have only just passed from this world. So yeah. um, I think that's a really beautiful thing and I'm excited to see how it flowers. Well, fantastic, Kieran. Thank you for spending some time with us and telling your, your very interesting stories there. Um, keep up the good work and uh, yeah, enjoy the, the summer and the fall there in the valley. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jacob. I appreciate it. All right.